0: Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is Robbie Martin. And
1: this is Abigail Martin. (laughs) You
0: usually never say your full name. One of the things we didn't get a chance to talk about on our previous podcast... Um and it's something that's been in the the news quite a bit lately is um, what is Trump's legal strategy at this point? What is so after he hired Rudy Giuliani to be his sort of main spokesperson lawyer, like kind of like a TV lawyer because Rudy Giuliani's you know very familiar with being on TV and he's going on TV all the time right now, um, what is Rudy Giuliani's play? What is his what is the strategy here? Um, two things Rudy Giuliani said recently in the past couple of weeks is that Trump could have shot Comey himself and he wouldn't, it's possible he could have still like gotten away with it. Rudy Giuliani has also said that Trump can pardon himself, which has always sort of been like debated among legal scholars. Like, could a president really pardon himself? It's a really fast.
1: Quickly, isn't, isn't this going along with what you were saying about how Giuliani is like doing a lot of damage? It seems like he's going out there and saying a bunch of crazy stuff. That's that's hurting Trump.
0: Well, that's what's so strange about it, Abby. Then that's why I mean that's why we should talk about it. Because let's try to imagine what this is. What purpose is this serving? So one way to look at it would be that Rudy Giuliani is somehow purposely sabotaging Trump's legal strategy. That's one one potential way to look at it um we already know that cnn sort of reported we'll we'll mention this we'll go into this deeper later that cnn reported that bolton apparently intentionally tried to sabotage the north korea summit so i don't know if this is also happening here if rudy giuliani is intentionally trying to sabotage trump a lot of people actually theorized that when he came out and said oh yeah the money was laundered through a law firm yeah the stormy daniels thing is like funneled through the law firm like on the Sean Hannity program. Even Sean Hannity was shocked, if you remember that, that interview. Um, but now people are mostly just confused. Like, what on earth could their strategy even be at this point? And I guess another dangerous potential is um, something that, you know, the resistance used to talk about a lot more before Russia became the primary talking point, which is... Could this be some kind of authoritarian PR stunt or strategy or play? Um, And I think that needs to be considered. Like, I don't think that Trump can be underestimated for what he is capable of doing. We already saw him like win the election in a huge shock. I mean, we've seen him be able to manipulate the political dialogue in this country and the public dialogue, like kind of like playing us like a harp from hell in a way like getting us to talk about these NFL protests and shit. Like he still seems to have some kind of special power to manipulate the public. Um, and so I guess what I'm wondering is, you know, why isn't the resistance talking about sort of the worst case scenarios anymore of what, what he could possibly be doing with his strategy. And also Abby, what happens if Trump is indicted, impeached, or is even elected out of office? Like what, Mm -hmm. what happens then does, Mm -hmm. I mean, does he have some kind of a bizarre or authoritarian strategy, like fail safe in, in his mind? Um, Because saying that the president can pardon himself. So if Trump is subpoenaed, for example, um, what if he doesn't respond to the subpoena? Like, what if he just refuses to go talk to Mueller? Like would armed federal agents be allowed to come and arrest Trump? Like, how does that even work? If Trump is in, actually indicted, what if he just decides not to go to the indictment? Right. I mean, is, is the Secret Service going to defend him? Like, there's really a lot of really weird scenarios that, that can play out from this. And then also the worst case scenario that you and I have talked about for a long time is this sort of conspiracy dog whistling, like getting like the Patriot movement type right wingers like Alex Jones and other people to actually create some kind of mass resistance movement if he is impeached um or thrown out of office that that might be some kind of fail safe so i don't know i mean there's i honestly do not know what to make of rudy giuliani's statements um but what do you think abby i mean i I don't
1: know i mean i'm so confused i don't even have an opinion because i don't know it's so weird that he's doing this. And he hasn't re- he hasn't like reeled it back at all. He just keeps going out and just saying more stuff. He seem he he'll clarify
0: certain things and then he'll and then he'll actually like make things worse again.
1: I just don't cuz usually Trump has no tolerance, you know, and someone does something that like makes him look bad, he'll just stop affiliating with them or fire that's them true. or whatever. And, and there already happened already a couple keeps, of incidents where that's, that's already what happened.
0: That's So Pompeo today had to come out, or maybe it was yesterday, had to come out and say that Giuliani does not speak for us on North Korea because Giuliani was starting to say shit about, like, Kim Jong-un and how they have to, like, denuclearize and shit on TV. Um, Also, Trump said something like, I don't know the exact words, but he did, right after that Stormy Daniels thing on Sean Hannity, Trump also contradicted what Rudy said. Now, what's happened more recently is that Rudy Giuliani went on I believe it was with George Stephanopoulos and said that oh this Trump Tower meeting thing um, it wasn't a lie but we weren't we weren't like 100% like figured out like what our what our argument was yet and George Stephanopoulos was like, so are you saying, which statement are you saying was true? Like the most current one or the old one? And, and wouldn't that be a lie? And, and Rudy Giuliani just like laughed and he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, it takes a while to like figure out what you're going to say. And like the new one, is like, that's like the right, that's the one we're going to use. I mean, like, it's just like, he's blatantly admitting to the fact that they had to like revise their statements on that Trump tower meeting to get out of like a legal predicament. Right. Um, and that's and it just like transparent as hell. So I can't imagine that Trump would be okay with that. And actually, did you see Ted Cruz and some other Republican senators were like asked by generic reporters, like, what do you think about Rudy saying that the president can pardon himself? And, um, and what did he say? I forgot what this old senator, um, I forgot what his name was. You've seen him before. He's a real, you know, GOP hardliner. He, all he said was, if my lawyer told me that, I would fire him and hire a new lawyer. And he just turned around and walked away.
1: Uh, well, it is weird because this was such a viral news story. It really made Trump oh my look God, horrible. Yeah. I mean, it was really bad.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it did make him look really bad. And But you have to wonder, like, why hasn't he fired him yet? That's what I'm saying. Is this some kind of, you know, what the hell is going on? Yeah. I mean, I honestly find it totally confusing. And I also find it confusing that... You know, Rudy Giuliani is not getting scrutinized like he should be right now for all of his like bizarre past behavior and all the money oh, he's well, made off of nine eleven.
1: Oh, come on. Who do you think it should it would be scrutinizing him? The alt-right?
0: No, no, no. I mean, like even just the n- neoliberal resistance figures, like oh, God. going back into his past, you know, they're not really showing well, they Love that-
1: George Bush now. So why not love Ju- Rudy Giuliani or give him a pass for nine eleven?
0: Yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, and I'll Jesus. link on the SoundCloud, uh, the Twitter, or the sorry, the SoundCloud timeline, a thread I did about Rudy Giuliani's old company, Bio One, which is very fascinating that he profited off the 2001 anthrax attacks. And then he formed Giuliani Partners Limited in 2002 as basically a firm to profit from terrorism and like the 9-11 attacks aftermath. So like he was even on, you know, before even this anthrax cleanup company, he was trying to make rake in dough from nine 11, like right Jesus after nine 11. Um, it's very disturbing shit.
1: Disgusting person. I mean, the only thing that I can think of that because we're living in this, this crazy time where Trump knows that anything he, anything that's like said in the public sphere can be a distraction for three days while he can just continue to steamroll his agenda um, and undo all these policies and, and, nominate all these judges across the country. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if there's some bigger strategy at play in terms of continuing to sidetrack everyone with things like Giuliani saying this, or maybe that's a perfect excuse. I mean, I don't know if he's that smart, but but the thing is these things are also happening behind the scenes. So there is like massive deregulation happening. There is, you know, all these right-wing judges are being appointed. So all of this stuff is happening that we're not hearing about. Is it by design? I don't know. Is it just the way that the media fuels itself who knows I mean I think it's the story that Giuliani said you know Trump can pardon himself but like what what does that really mean why is Giuliani still there
0: I mean you could look at this another way and say it's some kind of you know this is, tr- this is Trump's version of whatever people describe as 4D chess that maybe
1: exactly he
0: wants these sensationalist headlines to come out that ultimately exactly. might not hurt his actual legal case to distract away from what he's really doing. Exactly. Because on one level, you know that he still really wants this North Korea summit to be successful. He bent over backwards in that letter to Kim Jong-un. I don't know if you heard me read it on on the podcast, but it was the most polite diplomatic thing that Trump has ever put his fucking name to. I mean, it was nuts, Abby. Like how much he was trying to be polite. Like, so it really does show me that he really wants that to go through, and maybe that he's doing this so the media will just be paying attention to this and won't be paying as much attention to the summit. I mean, right? Because yeah, um,
1: so because Ronan Farrow and all these people are saying how is a propaganda coup for North Korea for Trump to accept a letter? So diplomacy with so-called enemies that are acceptable to the neoliberal punditry in this glob. In D.C., that's unacceptable. Um, but of course, meeting with the Saudi dictatorship and uh, Netanyahu apartheid colonial occupier um, or, you know, everyone going back to Jimmy Carter. I mean, when haven't we met and gleefully um, communicated with totalitarian dictators and, and beyond just meeting with them fucking Ronin? Funding destabilizing countries to prop them up it 's
0: literally the only good thing Trump has done right <laughs> in his entire presidency so far is swallow his pride and actually try to like smooth this over and and try to like grease the skids for this to happen that's that's the single only good thing that he's done in his presidency so far that I stand behind and but at the same time, like the fact that he hired John Bolton right before this and John Bolton read an editorial saying he's going to want a preemptive attack in North Korea. I mean, that shit was really stupid. So I don't know what that's about other than Trump is very obviously baited by these like hardcore neocons. If you take, I mean, if you just isolated to the fact that North Korea and South Korea are meeting again, are talking about opening up railways so that South Koreans can travel into North Korea anytime any time they want. This is insanely positive developments happening. Like nobody should look at any of this stuff and think this is bad. So it's not maddening to think that like all these neoliberal media pundits are all trying to make it sound awful because simply because they hate Trump
1: yeah i can't believe it i mean and then and then also it's funny
0: because they were also doing the opposite a little bit during the olympics remember when that north korean delegation was behind mike pence yeah they were actually like giving them the north korean delegation like more praise than they normally would because that was during the process when pence and trump were being very hawkish against north korea so it's just like it the media is just so disingenuous the way this is covered so like in a way, like they really are feeding into this like sort of like, oh, this shit's all fake news. Like, like, um, like all right, sort of sector of, of the landscape. Like they're really feeding into that.
1: It is funny that the train keeps moving with or without Trump in terms of where the sentiment is, where we still want North Korea as an enemy and we still want to isolate it, even though the vast majority of Koreans who should be the only people having any sort of say in the future of their fucking country... Um, they want it. They want peace. They want reunification. There's no reason that the U S empire has any say, or should prevent this from happening whatsoever. And whatever they want to get peace, we should absolutely comply with it. So it's just, it's just disgusting. The arrogance of these people makes me sick.
0: I mean, it's incredibly arrogant. And, and the sad part is, I guess that I see is yeah, South Korea, North Korea, I could see them getting along and sort of having this this new relationship, but I cannot imagine that the US empire will be okay with North Korea existing as like a communist country um if like even if they do nuclearize. Like I I find no. that very hard to believe that we will just allow them to exist and not no. try to like destroy their economy or like change their entire landscape of their country.
1: No, we're absolutely not going to let that happen. And plus, um, Kim Jong-un has also said that he thought that denuclearization and demilitarization meant the U.S. away from, you know, surrounding North Korea, where we have uh, submarines that reenact the invasion and overthrow of Kim Jong-un on a weekly basis, the tens of thousands of troops that are stationed in Guam and Korea in the south. So all of these things have to be taken into account. And, uh, you know, we, it goes both ways here. Of but of course. course, the U.S. is never going to relinquish any of that.
0: Well, interestingly, as bad as Trump is, he actually said he would consider removing troops from South Korea a couple days ago. That's insane. And everybody flipped the fuck out. Like Josh Rogan <laughs> wrote a giant Washington, um, Washington Post editorial I'm, I'm about how... he
1: was inspired by that. About
0: how to, bad that would be. And all the think tanks were really upset. And it's like one of the only good things he's done... But who knows? It, might, it could just be yeah. another like thrown out there like, oh, maybe we should move, remove the troops from Syria and then he'll just not do it. Right. So I just thought I'd record a little addendum here um, because when Abby and I recorded this podcast, it was right before the actual summit had taken place. And understandably, a lot of people, including um, Abby and I, really didn't know if this was actually going to move forward. Um, there seemed to be so many hiccups and just strange events along the way. I mean, we already mentioned the fact that Bolton um, appeared to deliberately try to sabotage the summit by talking about the Libya model. Um, we heard rumors that uh, Pompeo uh, didn't want Bolton involved in the summit at all. He thought it would be a bad idea. Um, you know, there's some really weird triangulation, um, sort of 3D, 4D chess, whatever you want to call it, theory that you can look at here that this was Trump's attempt to use the big stick approach um, almost like as a fear tactic. Now, if that's the case, I think it was a horrible approach. Um, and I think that it was um, extremely irresponsible, uh, to say the least. Um, I really have no idea. It's, it is strange, though, that he would bring, bring Bolton in right before he attempts this um, sort of summit and denuclearization deal with North Korea now, I have to admit uh, for myself, um, I was extremely skeptical that it was going to happen. Um, I thought that if it did happen, Trump would have a scowl, he would act like a tough man, um, that he would that he would do something to to lower himself in the proceedings of it. but it turns out. Um, that this was, in my opinion, the first moment of his presidency um, where it appeared that he swallowed his pride and pretty much did um, most, of the, most of the things right. I mean, if we're just isolating it just to the summit itself, um, it's actually very interesting how what he achieved basically is a moment in history He's going to be in the history books now for something positive, whether people like it or not. That's that's something that he, you know, that he couldn't even have purchased. You could purchase a pr- presidential campaign. You could purchase the presidency if you have enough money and power. But I think that this is different. This is something that money can't even buy. This is something that will enshrine him in the history books forever. Even if he just did it for his own ego, um, ultimately it doesn't matter because this was... At the very least, extremely um, positive symbolism, Um, even if things turn in the other direction eventually. I mean, just between the relations between North and South Korea, this is extremely positive. In terms of the equation with the United States and North Korea, we'll have to see how it pans out. Apparently, one of the things the media is sort of going after Trump for, and this is mainly um, sort of the neoliberal media like CNN and MSNBC. He actually, even Fox news is going after him for this. Um, In spite of all of them going after him for this, I mean, he, he shook hands with Kim Jong-un. He was smiling. Um, He was being extremely friendly. He even saluted to a North Korean military general, which the media is lambasting him for right now. Um, Trump bent over backwards. I mean, this is like the most I've ever seen him act polite and act diplomatic and presidential. And I hate using words like that because I don't give a fuck if someone acts presidential or not. I mean, ultimately what matters here is this is him talking to our quote unquote enemies and basically lifting the, um, this iron curtain, so to speak on you know, what North Korea is willing to share with the rest of the world and and what can become of the future. My own reaction to the actual summit was, I couldn't help it. I, th- I, I like felt kind of emotional while I was watching it. I mean, and I understand that on some level, that's just, you know, media propaganda, that's Trump's um, own sort of propaganda. But I was frankly, sort of impressed um, by the way that he did it. I mean, he didn't let in most of the press pool. There was a very small amount of press there at the summit. It looked really, really good for him. And I also thought it looked good for Kim Jong-un. I mean, even if that the world hates Trump, um, this sort of brings him into a... on another playing field of just appearing like he, you know, he's not just this hidden, you know, crazy dictator that the world sees him as anymore. He's actually trying to reach out to the United States. It's a it's a very big deal. Um, and the video footage is frankly kind of amazing. And I and I recommend everybody watch it who hadn't seen it yet. Try to watch it on C-SPAN where there's no commentary. I made a point to watch it live on C-SPAN. And I'm really glad I did because for the first, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes of the footage, um, there was no commentary whatsoever. And it was just just sort of watching unfold. Um, And I heard later, you know, from people who were watching MSNBC and CNN, that they were just grilling, I mean, they were lambasting the entire idea of it. Why are we caving to dictators? Why are we talking to dictators? Why isn't Trump mentioning the human rights uh, rights abuses in North Korea? All this kind of typical shit. And that's, it's really fascinating because this is one example where Trump is, kind of going against the consensus establishment, all of the think tanks, all of the neocons, even all of the neoliberals on the media, very, very few of them saw this as a positive thing. And that's just really, really revealing and and frankly, just kind of strange. And unfortunately, what Trump should have done, in my opinion, is use this event as the model moving forward for the rest of his presidency to bask in the glory of this to swallow his pride and to actually, like, sort of move forward on a positive footing. Um, and of course, instead of that, he, re- you know, reverted immediately back to his old ways and was tweeting, whining, and complaining about the way the media treated the summit the day after the summit on Twitter. And he even said something like more extreme than he said before about the fake news media, as he calls it. He said that they are the greatest America. Uh, he said, the fake news media is the greatest enemy of the American public. The greatest enemy. And on one level, I mean, I could kind of a little bit get on board that the idea that the media is propaganda and it, it isn't um, an ally to the American people. However, this is the same man who tells people to watch Fox and Friends, who tells people Sean Hannity is amazing, um, who promotes the Gateway Pundit. I mean, so it's... It's extremely problematic, obviously, but yet, you know, a lot of kind of idiots out there will really sort of take what he's saying in that tweet and really embrace that without seeing all this hypocrisy and contradictions in his own treatment of certain media figures that frankly just like him and that are loyal to him. He doesn't, he doesn't care. If CNN and MSNBC praised him, he, all the people that he insulted before he would immediately start being nice to if sleepy eyes Chuck Todd, as he calls him, praised him for that summit, he would, he would compliment him. Regardless of his ego, regardless of how fucking terrible he is and how racist he is, this was a good thing. And I think that it can be looked at sort of in isolation because, again, even if he did this for his own ego, um, it's a really, really positive step in the right direction. Now, my fear is, as I mentioned with Abby earlier on the podcast, is that North Korea, um, by lowering its guard down like this, you know, could potentially open itself up for a Libya model style regime change eventually. I mean, we don't stick to our deals. Look at the Iran deal. Look at the Libya deal. George W. Bush and Gaddafi kind of struck a deal um, to, um, to stop WMD production. Didn't matter. Um, as soon as a video came out of a couple protesters being shot in Libya during the Arab Spring boom NATO bombing starts so North Korea needs to understand and I'm sure that they do they're not I mean after reading a lot of these official statements from them recently they are very astute very plugged into our media landscape they're very aware of who John Bolton is they they have to be cautious about this it'll be very interesting to see if Kim Jong-un sort of staves off sort of the global capitalism Because I think that's going to be the real test. But I think one of the main takeaways here, unfortunately, is not, oh, this is great that North Korea and the United States are talking again and that they've struck some kind of deal. The main takeaway is something actually negative and very disturbing, which is that the mainstream media is, and and when I say the mainstream media, I mean, supposedly the people in the mainstream media that are supposed to be liberal and anti-war You know, they don't want these right-wing murderous wars, supposedly. They are criticizing Trump from the right. People like Rachel Maddow are actually criticizing Trump's summit with North Korea from the right, saying that he needs to be more hawkish, more punitive, etc. Very, very fascinating. That's something we need to be paying very close attention to. Even if Trump is a pathological liar... And a propagandist himself. I mean, both sides of this equation are very bad. Now we go back to our regularly scheduled broadcast with Abby Martin.
1: Yeah. And then the (laughs) MS-13 racist dog whistling where Trump said Pelosi loves MS-13. I mean, come on. Like,
0: it was just like a, it's just such a weird softball framing that they're like trying to create for this. I mean... And actually what was funny is like several, you know, people made as a joke, journalists were like, I'd rather my daughter date a member of MS-13 than like, like someone from the alt-right or a Trump supporter or something. Um, And like all these right-wing outlets ran with that as if it was like a hundred percent factual statement. (laughs) And they were like, liberals would rather their daughters date MS-13 than Trump's more. It's like, it's just so, so funny. They don't,
1: that I can't read sarcasm ever. So they're just like, this is real.
0: Yeah. It's, um, it's really fascinating. And it's really interesting too. how people don't understand how this is racist dog whistling, or they'll try to deny it because it's like Trump is talking about the worst of the worst. I, and unfortunately, frankly, we've already sort of lost our ability to humanize people with the ISIS argument, like I've been complaining about for years, that you'll often encounter people on the left who will talk about ISIS as if they're animals and dehumanize actual human beings, who many of them largely probably got caught up into ISIS. When ISIS takes over a territory, you kind of have to support ISIS at that point. Otherwise, you're probably going to be killed or, or, or something. I mean, so it's just interesting how...
1: Yeah, Channel, Channel 4 went back into Guta, and all the people who are going back, who were uh, either living under ISIS or were expelled, talked about the horrors of, of ISIS there. Finally, mm-hmm. a, a legitimate news source who's covering what the rebels did, they said that they were smashing their fingers with hammers. And then people who watch that, they're like, well, what else are they going to say? They're now in government territory. It's like, I'm sorry, again, I don't believe that like g- soldiers are holding guns to people's heads in the background and saying, you have to say this. It's like, this shit happened. It's not like a black and white thing. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, it's totally unfair to mischaracterize all of the rebels as ISIS and jihadists. Of course, that's absurd and cartoonish. But you can't just ignore the crimes from the rebels and what these people were going through. It's crazy to me.
0: It is crazy to me. And I remember one of the first times, like, Charlie Arkey, like, sniped at me for for something completely random that I wasn't even tweeting at him. I just was posting videos after video of the FSA, the supposed, the most, like, liberal-supported rebel group in Syria, the one that Uranon News used to promote, um, blowing up these gigantic tunnel bombs um, underneath, like, um, Assad's, uh, like, military bases and stuff. That just look like they killed like everybody in the surrounding area. They were, they're such gigantic explosions that you, I mean, they're actually pretty amazing to watch videos of. You, actually, I've actually never seen aerial bombardments from Assad forces that were this powerful. Where did they get all those explosives? Probably the fucking CIA. I mean, watch these videos; they're insane. And then Charlie right. Arkey didn't even really have an argument at all. He was just like mad that I was bringing light to the fact that these FSA tunnel bombs were horrifyingly devastating explosions.
1: No, dude. They're this destroying is these,
0: literally entire neighborhoods. Like watch these videos, people.
1: That's what these vice anarchists oriented people do. They're just like, fuck all governments. We support the resistance everywhere. They just fetishize revolution mm-hmm. and they fetishize um, the character of protests without actually analyzing what the character is. Yeah. What is the character of these protests? Are they progressive or are they right ring? Are they reactionary or are they fascist? They don't care. They just fetishize them all and they're like, yeah, dude. Like, you have to support the protesters. It's like, dude, what are you talking about?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... It's super
1: um, irresponsible.
0: Oh, it's extremely irresponsible, and it's also very suspicious, too. I mean, it's yeah. just like, you know, who knows?
1: Um, talk about the Randy Credico thing, because I didn't even know about this.
0: Well, yeah, so a comedian um, named Randy Credico got caught up in the, the Trump-Russia investigation... Because he claimed that he had some kind of relationship or was talking to Julian Assange like before the Podesta and email leaks. His story has been a little vague and he has been very cagey recently because ever since he got called in to testify, he won't speak like fully transparently about what's going on. Like he's very, very careful about what he says. He's also been very, very careful about protecting his former friend and colleague, Roger Stone, who was called in to testify because there seems to be evidence that he had an early indication or early knowledge of potentially the email leaks that were about to come from WikiLeaks, specifically the Podesta leaks, where Roger Stone said that Podesta's time in the barrel is coming soon, and the Podesta leaks dropped not long after. Now, my take on that is I don't really necessarily believe that Roger Stone had exclusive early access to those leaks because I haven't seen proof of it, part of me is suspicious a little bit that WikiLeaks did give early access to those leaks to some right-wing people to, in order to weaponize them. Um, and I believed this ever since WikiLeaks was promoting Pizzagate, not just passively sort of sitting back and letting Podesta emails evolve into Pizzagate, but openly promoting Pizzagate from the official Twitter account. But that aside, basically what happened is Randy Credico and Roger Stone had a falling out because what happened is Roger Stone started to say that Randy was my liaison between me and Assange. like. And, and Roger Stone originally said that he had dinner with Assange and met him in London. He took that back later, but then he later claimed, well, actually I did have sort of a communication with Assange and it was through Randy. Um, and Randy basically says like i i mean he didn't say that roger was throwing me under the bus or anything like that but he kind of like was insinuating that on the intercepted podcast with jeremy scahill and jeremy scahill was like why did roger stone say this about you like didn't he kind of out you like what's up what's all this about how do you feel about this and then after that after they both testified to the 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 special investigation on russia uh behind closed doors we won't be able to see their testimony apparently roger stone Told Randy prepare to die, and actually send him a death threat. Basically, the, the claims that Stone used him as a false alibi to like get out, to like help him squirrely, you know, get out of the the tart like the bullseye for this um, investigation because they were really breathing down Stone's neck for a while. So on April 9th, Stone it's this is from um, MotherJones.com. Stone was responding to a message from Credico that indicated Credico would release information contradicting. Stone's claims about the 2016 election that all will come out. Credico tells Mother Jones that he considered this email from Stone a threat. Roger Stone's email actually says, I am so ready. Let's get it on. Prepare to die, cocksucker. What? Um, Sent to Randy Credico. In a text message to Mother Jones, Stone did not dispute sending this particular message to Credico, but he maintains he was not making a threat and contends that Credico is citing his words out of context. Credico sent Mother Jones screenshots of messages he said were from Stone. Many appeared to have been prompted by media appearances and news reports in which Credico disputed Stone's claim that Credico acted as an intermediary between Stone and WikiLeaks in 2016. It sounds like um, Stone did try to throw Randy under the bus in like a moment of panic or something and try to blame him, like include him in this sort of web or something. And then Randy was just like, no, no, like I I don't know anything about that. Even though Randy so was being very bizarre. cagey. like I heard him talk about it. He was still being very diplomatic about what Stone was saying. So the fact that Stone would flip out on him like this, I, I'm, I think there's something deeper happening here. And I but why do, do you think he, why do you think he
1: issued a death threat? I mean, that's taking it a little far.
0: It is taking it far, but it's kind of Stone's style. I mean, mm-hmm. he pretty much made a death threat to Elliot Spitzer's father when he was involved in trying to ruin Elliot Spitzer. I don't know if you've heard that voicemail. Um, and then apparently they had a Randy and Roger Stone had a falling out over that too because Roger Stone lied and said that it was Randy who called him Elliot Spitzer's father. Wow. Even though if you hear the recorded voicemail, it's a hundred percent Roger Stone. I mean, it's cartoonishly him. It's just these people are basically just liar, like liars and mm-hmm. dirty tricksters. I don't. I'm not saying Randy Credico is. He seems like a more trustworthy figure. I'm talking about someone like Stone, very dirty, dirty figure. And I wouldn't be surprised if he did somehow get early access to the emails, but I don't know if WikiLeaks necessarily gave it to him. I mean, but it, you really do have to wonder how did certain people find spirit cooking right away after those emails dropped for like to, to seed an evangelical satanic panic um, wave. Like that seems very coincidental to me. Um, so I, I still think that's worth looking deeper into like how that transpired because While I don't think Russia was involved in any of this, I don't think there's any evidence for that. I do think there's evidence to suggest that Julian Assange and WikiLeaks got very enticed by sort of this Trump MAGA movement, right-wing, like these figures in that movement. Right. And I think we might not ever learn the truth about what happened there, but I think it's really worth examining. And I feel like the left missed an opportunity to have a serious conversation about the problematic nature of, So let's just boil it down to WikiLeaks retweeting Jack Posobiec as recently as two weeks ago. That's Mm -hmm. a huge problem and it needs to be addressed. And people on the left lost the opportunity to address it. It's way too late. Yeah, because they just
1: think that everything's a Russian, uh, you know, he's a Russian agent and that's where the conversation stops. I mean, I even mean people who
0: support, who don't think that, who are on the left. There just seems to be a silence about it. And I, I have right. people DMing me, I'm not going to say who they are, that are like people who are, you know, who used to really support WikiLeaks, who are like, agree with everything I say about WikiLeaks. There is a silence because people are afraid to openly criticize WikiLeaks. It feels almost sacrilegious. And it's also, it's like a pile-on effect. You don't want to, you know, because yeah. Well, I was just going so is so That's
1: what I'm saying is because everyone is piling on and calling yeah, sorry, it sorry, a, sorry. A, a Russian operation. And yeah. so... You know, I'm not going to go out there and criticize WikiLeaks. I mean, I feel like there's better targets, but I, I agree with the premise that it is problematic that WikiLeaks has tanked the brand by embracing these all right figures. Absolutely. But yeah, it's and, like, and I, it is sad.
0: And and one thing that Barrett Brown said, um, and he's also, he's one of the only people on the left who's criticized WikiLeaks, I think, for the right reasons recently. And he made a very good point on the Intercepted podcast a few months back where he said that one of the clinchers for him that WikiLeaks had abandoned its principles was in that email exchange with Don Jr. where it appeared that Julian Assange whoever was talking to Don Jr. through that account was willing to launder a fake leak making it appear that they had gotten a hold of Donald Trump's tax returns and they had leaked it. Even though what Donald Trump Jr. was offering to do is just to hand it to WikiLeaks to help them launder it through WikiLeaks. It's not 100% clear if that's exactly what was happening, but it appears that way, and it appears very, it looks very bad to me, and I could understand why Barrett Brown saw that exchange and was like, this is a complete antithesis to the principles that WikiLeaks is supposed to follow. They're never supposed to launder leaks. They're always supposed to get leaks from genuine whistleblowers or insiders, not not someone who wants something to leak and who's like, hey, let me give this to you, and you can just leak it, and we'll pretend you got it as a leak. Like, that's not what they're supposed to do, so...
1: And meanwhile, Julian Assange is sitting in an embassy with his health failing. And it's just sad. All, all around, it's sad. It's really sad to see what WikiLeaks has done to its brand. All, you know, No Heroes 2018, that's like my motto this year. I feel like in a way, it's almost good that I've seen everyone's true colors, but it's just also sad because I feel like there's no one left that I can, you know what I mean, rally behind And it's just, we just have to look out for ourselves here. We're in new terrain. Well, that's, that's the, I think that's the
0: issue. That's the crux of the issue. I remember when WikiLeaks official Twitter account promoted that first Pizzagate thing.
1: It was like a punch to my gut.
0: Yeah. But I remember when they did, I was like, well, if WikiLeaks is talking about this, there must be something here. And that's the framework that I started looking at it in. And I got fucking tricked.
1: But even Ray McGovern still, there was just a forum at left forum last weekend and someone in the audience asked about Seth Rich and Ray McGovern's whole argument was based on Julian Assange um, kind of hinting that Seth Rich was the leaker by saying, look, we just have to trust Julian Assange. And a lot of people have taken that as gospel that Julian Assange hinted that Seth Rich was the leaker.
0: And it's really because unfortunate why because... why would he
1: lie? That's their... Why would he lie? Well, there's a lot of reasons why Well, he didn't say anything
0: concrete either. That needs to be... Yeah,
1: exactly. Why would he It was kind of QAnon
0: style, vague hinting. He didn't mm. say that. That's what people... People filled in all the blanks. He didn't say Seth Rich was murdered for leaking to them the DNC emails. He, he insinuated something like it, but he never said it. So it's like... I mean, and then also... It's like, I don't know what really happened during the Seth Rich thing. I think it was probably an insider who leaked it. I don't know if it was Seth Rich. It might have been, but it still doesn't make sense to me why he would have been killed if the emails were out there anyways. And also look at all the people, the clickbait people who are riding on that wave of Seth Rich conspiracies who just totally dropped it. They don't even talk about it anymore. Mm -hmm. What does that tell you? It no longer serves the clickbait purposes that they needed it to before. Like it's just, it's, it's lost usefulness for them. So, and, and yeah, a lot of grifters rode on that train and, um, and yeah, it's, uh, I don't, I don't know what to think about it. I mean, and it's weird too, how that's that um Seymour Hirsch phone call got leaked about talking about it. And then like barely anything after that, it's just like, that's yeah. where it is now. And it's just done. It's like,
1: Seymour Hersh's new book came out, and apparently, a passage in it talks about how LG, LBJ took a shit in front of like a pool of reporters. Did you see that?
0: No, I, yeah, he I like believe it though. A
1: report, absolutely, he pulled a reporter who did, who wrote a bad piece about him, put him in his car in front of a pool of reporters in front of the White House, drove him down the street, got out of the car, took a shit in front of everyone. To like show that he, that's how much he thought of the report, I guess, and then like went back in the car and dropped the guy back off and then left.
0: Wow, that's so creepy. Yeah. I mean, this, there's also record, I mean, I don't know if we've talked about this, there's also recordings of him um, talking about his bunghole and how he needs Jesus. pants that are a special uh, cut because it, it, it fucks with his nuts in his bunghole. There's huh? a recording from the Oval Office. And then also, um, he wanted a special shower head installed so it could spray his dickhead in the shower. What? He talks about that. There's writing, he's actual official memo. If
1: only there was reality TV. Yeah. I don't <laughs> know if he wanted then. to <laughs> masturbate
0: specifically with the shower head or what, but there's and then also he is run. on record several times pulling his penis out in front of other White House staffers asking like Kevin Spacey style, sexual predator style, saying like it's really big, isn't it? Like I almost oh like word God. for word exactly what Kevin Spacey would say to people when he pulls dick out. I mean, it's strange wow. stuff. LBJ is a really strange president. Well, that's
1: what's, that's what's so funny about people acting like Trump has somehow obliterated Bevalued. like the dignity, dignity of the office. And it's like, uh, LBJ was taking shits in public and wiping his ass with leaves in front of reporters. So I don't know if that's actually an astute analysis about yeah, the Trump JFK era. Yeah, JFK
0: deflowered right. a 17-year-old in the White House. <laughs> I mean, come on.
1: He had like orgies in the pool.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, I just, it's, it's, it's hilarious.
1: Bobby Kennedy Jr. um, does not think Sirhan Sirhan killed his dad. We know that. But um, the evidence is super peculiar. Even the guy who was shot when Bobby Kennedy was killed, like he's the one who's the main person driving like a new investigation. The guy who was also shot and who almost died. And was he a security who,
0: guard at the like I in the banquet remember. hall or was he a th- secret service
1: I th- I don't know um but it's just really interesting because the sh- there were 11 or 12 shots recorded it wasn't just ricochets because you could obviously bullets ricochet so if you're finding bullet holes or dents that's obviously not the best way to tell if there was more shots but the forensic evidence of the audio recording of that day does you can hear 11 to 13 shots Mm -hmm. and Sirhan Sirhan's gun only held like eight bullets and there's also bullets. I think there was like
0: more than the amount of bullets in his gun like found like holes in that in that um kitchen area that he was shot in
1: and I uh, one of my friends here Preston he's he's older he's in the 70s and he was just telling me that that was that was when he just like woke up because I mean everyone he was gonna win The presidency Mm -hmm. and this was what a couple years after mlk was assassinated and i think it was before
0: i think it was in between
1: oh okay yeah right before mlk right after kennedy was killed and it was just like the most crazy time where it was so obviously like operations going on
0: well yeah (laughs) i mean let's just let's be honest like it's pretty clear that a lone assassin did not kill john f kennedy robert kennedy and martin luther king I mean, like, I think most people who are sort of like le- on the left activist side of things will acknowledge that in private, but they don't really talk about it in public. Like, you don't see very many people openly talking about this on Twitter and stuff. But if, I mean, the fact that um, Robert Kennedy Jr., is that his name? Yeah. The fact that he actually came out now and said this in the Washington Post, did this, like, giant piece about how maybe this actually, maybe he, yeah. maybe Sir Sirhan wasn't the killer, is very, actually very bizarre to me, um, that they would be talking about this now. And apparently he really changed his mind. Like, even though he's always had doubts, he finally visited Sirhan Sirhan in jail and had been privately communicating with him for like six months and didn't tell anybody. Mm -hmm. And finally actually visited him face to face and is now absolutely convinced that he did not kill his father.
1: But it's tricky because Sirhan Sirhan did Shoot, I mean he was but he says that he doesn't remember, so it's like what exactly happened? There was obviously someone else there, mm-hmm. and the question is just like um just like Oswald, it's like, well, why did you settle for that? if all the evidence points to a second gunman, then why did why didn't you look for him
0: yeah it's um it's it's obviously too late now, I mean like I mean there's really I don't know what would come out of it, and it's also it's much more complicated due to the fact that sirhan sirhans like the the best defense you can make. And this is what's interesting is it's kind of a little bit pushing the Manchurian candidate theory because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they're kind of saying that, well, he must've been, he might've been actually brainwashed and I don't, you know,
1: yeah. Who knows? I don't it's know very if strange. that's even
0: possible to do that, but yeah, I do think it needs to be examined and there's a lot of like weird stuff about that assassination. And just like, we'll go back and watch the movie JFK by Oliver Stone again and he so beautifully puts in each one of those events into the movie and does it in a way that's extremely emotionally impactful. He doesn't like show you on the ground when Martin Luther King was killed, he doesn't show you like at Dealey Plaza when JFK was killed. He shows you Jim Garrison's character watching, watching it. on TV yeah, each time and TV. like each time being like more emotionally traumatized. Like,
1: and think about what that did. Like my friend Preston, who was telling me, he was oh like, Think God. about what that did. Like, it was like an, emo- it was probably like today? a 9
0: 11, an anthrax attack. It was probably like that level of emotional trauma. Like right. following, you know, even though the anthrax attacks like followed so soon after 9 11, it was like a similar thing. It's like you only have like a two year reprieve from an assassination of JFK, then his brother gets killed too. And then, MLK, and then like the premier I mean,
1: civil rights leader. And it's like in the height of the Vietnam War and all of the stuff going on. And it's just like, can you imagine how much that crushed people who were energized and, and out in the streets and, and a part of this movement? And, and you know, that, that's what turned Preston like and completely into like a communist. He was like, this is he was like, there's something really fucked up. Obviously, the government did this and. Um, yeah, I mean, it really radicalized them in a good way, but I think it probably what did it do to a lot of other people? Probably just like trauma that people are still holding onto that they just suppressed really far down.
0: It kind of creates this impression that any revolutionary figure in this country, if they get big enough, will be exactly. assassinated.
1: Exactly. And that's exactly. kind of like
0: there are framework that we live in. It's like, oh, well, right. You know, that's what happens you know, to a revolutionary figure, I mean like, and even like Malcolm X getting killed, I mean, yeah. you know there's so many other figures who have been murdered that you know you really have to look into like what what was that actually about and uh
1: um, but read the Washington Post article. I read it too. It was really good. <clears throat> but another story let's let's move on to Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico has been colonial property longer than any nation in the world and for over a century. And obviously, all their economic paths have been mandated by the very same government who's been subjugating them, which is us. Um, A shocking, stunning 4,645 people died in the aftermath of the hurricane in Puerto Rico, more than Katrina and 9-11 combined. It's a death toll that's 70 times higher than what the official government number, which still stands at 64 And you just have to go back to that press conference, especially since Trump has not said anything about this, where he was throwing toilet paper in the crowd and talking really casually about why it was so great that only only like a dozen people died. Um, And I'm going to read verbatim what he said, because it's super weird. He was like, I hate to tell you, Puerto Rico, but you've thrown our budget a little out of whack because we spent a lot of money on Puerto Rico. And that's fine. We've saved a lot of lives Every death is a horror, but if you look at the real catastrophe like Katrina and the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that died, and you look what's happening here in a storm that was really overpowering, nobody's ever seen anything like that. And what's your, what's your death count at this moment? 17? And the governor's like, 16. And he's like, 16 people certified. 16 people versus in the thousands. You can be very proud of all your people, all of our people working together. 16 versus literally thousands of people. So the toll, according to this this Harvard study that came out, the toll could actually be up to 6,000. And this is because, no, the storm didn't just wipe out thousands of people. It's because of neoliberal austerity measures from Wall Street that have raped and pillaged the entire economy of Puerto Rico and the infrastructure on purpose. And Naomi Klein went on Democracy Now! and who did a documentary about it and she, she called it state-sponsored murder and and planned misery. And I really couldn't agree more because in the aftermath of the hurricane, they're just doing all of these things to quote-unquote rebuild or, you know, invest in the infrastructure in the exact same way that caused all of this death. On purpose. It's all planned. And so it's it's the medical care was completely interrupted. So there was high mortality rates in the months after the hurricane. Then there was... um. So 84 days without electricity, first of all. So 60 days without drinking water and 40 days without cellular communications. So what does that do? How did that exacerbate all of the deaths and misery and suffering where people couldn't even get help? People who are elderly stuck in their homes, they had no ability to communicate with anyone. I mean, I just, what's so devastating is how Americans don't give a fucking shit because they think of these people as like, Island dwellers, uh, like brown people that they don't even know that they're fucking American citizens. Um, and why are they American citizens? Because we wanted them, President Wilson, granted citizenship in 1917 so they can go fight in World War I. So we were using Puerto Rico as a testing ground for the U.S. military for chemical warfare, for bombing, for environmental destruction for decades and decades. And then we sent them to die in our wars and here, give them, give them citizenship, but never let them stand on their own two feet. Um, it, it's just, it's just too much, man. It's too much. And in 2006, you know, US corporations were obviously cashing in on these huge tax incentives because Puerto Rico is kind of like a free for all for these corporations to store money offshore, these tax havens. And so all these corporations picked up and left shop, a lot of them in 2006, and it triggered a recession. And then what happened? They picked up where they left off. They, they, they scraped it just like the recession, how the top 1% took 95% of the, 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 um, quote unquote recovery. That's exactly what happened in Puerto Rico. Um, the recession that hit us hit them 10 times harder. And so all that, you know, the, the debt package and all of like the, the things that they were saying to save Puerto Rico. Well, Luckily for multimillionaires, Congress made Puerto Rico's debt tax-free too. So it was bought up by more hedge fund managers and Wall Street bankers. So that's where we're at today, where no one gives a shit that almost 6,000 American citizens died.
0: It's uh, just thinking while you were saying all that, that how weird is it that Kanye West was the one who largely started this conversation in this country in the first place about how George Bush doesn't care about black people during Hurricane Katrina and here he is, I don't know how many years later, 14 years later, saying that, that slavery was a choice. It was a choice. And even and someone like him, right now, he actually has the power, apparently, because of his wife, to convince the president to like pardon uh, nonviolent drug offenders. So he also has the power to get Trump to do more in Puerto Rico if he wanted to. you know, Even if he just said something in a tweet. So it's actually really interesting how that's the power of like sort of these celebrities and like.
1: And that's where we're at. where the only chance to get someone like that woman, Alice Johnson, um, you know, uh, her sentence commuted, is to have a celebrity like Kim Kardashian to just massage Trump's ego enough to be like, you know what? This is the right thing to do. I mean, that that's literally where we're at in this country in terms of justice. What do you think about the Puerto Rico stuff?
0: I mean, it's absolutely horrifying. I'm surprised that the mainstream media is not making a bigger deal out of it, yeah,
1: because it makes Trump look bad. they don't even they they couldn't give less of a fuck about Puerto Rico Well, even it was if like it makes the, Trump look awful.
0: I saw people like Chris Hayes and these other people like really acting like it was the biggest story for like a couple of days, and then they stopped talking about it, but it's like it's it's not it's just because we know now that the death toll was seventy times higher than it actually was. Um, doesn't mean it's only like a story you can talk about for a couple days. Like it could be a story you could talk about for months if you actually cared and stopped being distracted by all this other stupid shit. Trump wants you to talk about like the that's... NFL protesters right. kneeling. Right. That's on the news <laughs> constantly. Oh, Every time I turn God. it on, that's what they're talking about right now. Um, and it's just sad. It's like this. I mean, this would be one of those things again to really throw fire at him for. Or for, you know, like, they missed an opportunity with funding Saudi Arabia and, like, during the bombing of, you know, ongoing bombing of Yemen. um, Barely talked about that either.
1: But this seems so obvious. And even Katrina, I mean, that was covered exhaustively.
0: It was, yeah. So what is the difference here? i That's a really good question, Abby. I don't know. I feel like Puerto Ricans might even be lower on sort of like the the scale of importance to the general public than like a lot of other people are in this country. I mean, like, and if they were black, you know, it was mostly black people in Puerto Rico, probably even worse, but you know, it's like It almost seems like they're kind of like forgotten people. Right. The only reason we're hearing so much about Hawaii is because it's like completely an American state now. It's not in the same like colonial situation like Puerto Rico is. And I feel like if it were, there'd be a lot less of us giving a shit about the volcano exploding there. You know, and also it just, I mean, I think it's a microcosm of just, that's the Hawaii volcano I think is a good example because look at this Guatemalan volcano explosion. I think almost like 500 people died or something like that.
1: Yeah. Nobody, like
0: nobody died in Hawaii, you know? Right. So that just shows you what, I mean, the you know we're very American centric here. We don't care as much when people die in other countries, unless it looks really good on TV. Like the last time I can remember seeing a lot of footage and coverage of some people dying in other countries in mass was the Japan tsunami. Because frankly, let's face it, that was great footage for the media networks to play constantly. It it got a lot of views. So
1: yeah, um, looks like a fucking. It's very sad
0: the way that our media works and just the way that Americans like look at world events. Like we don't care the most part.
1: Well, and then one of the most horrifying stories other than that, if it can get worse than that, um, our next biggest ally. And if people, you know, Kyle laid this out pretty well. And Chomsky has said this time and again about why do you focus on America more than any other country? Because obviously we're American citizens and, um, that's all we can do is to focus on our own government and to try to and the atrocities that we're sponsoring with our tax dollars, and the same exact argument goes for Saudi Arabia and Israel. Those are the two, I think, most horrific human rights offenders in the world, and the fact that we are subsidizing their governments with our tax dollars should be cause of concern for everyone. And the fact that those are the two most whitewashed countries is very problematic. So yeah, that is why I focus primarily on Saudi Arabia, Israel, and the United States. So, And you should too. Um, But speaking of Yemen, under this genocidal Saudi blockade, three times the amount of people that died in the Holocaust are at risk of starving to death by the end of this year because of this insane blockade that Saudi Arabia has put on Yemen. So I have actually talked to Saudi people who hate the Houthis, and I'm not going to get into the whole dynamics of the Houthi rebels and the Shia and Sunni dynamics there. Um, It's very complicated and, you know, whatever. The problem is that Saudi Arabia is targeting civilian infrastructure and blockading civilians from getting life-saving medication and aid and food. So you want to talk about Venezuela and how there's a, a national famine, yet you're ignoring the actual mass famine that the entire world is turning a blind eye to, where 18 million people, 18 million people are at risk of starving to death Because the Saudis want to quash from all sides the Houthi-led resistance movement. So already, obviously, thousands of people have been killed. But um, the fact that they are decimating the ports, they're decimating the bridges, they're decimating all civilian infrastructure in such a barbaric and sadistic way. I mean... Just to make it harder for the Houthis to advance. It's just the most criminal shit of all time. And then you look at the US government, not only are we selling, we just sold Saudi Arabia the largest arms contract in the history of the US. And on top of that, we're supplying the intelligence for these bombing targets. So we are very actively uh, participating in this total genocide of Yemenis, which was already the poorest country in the hemisphere, already massively food insecure. And this is the situation in Yemen. So in the first year alone, in the first year alone, the coalition, quote unquote coalition, U.S., Saudi, and God knows who else, bombed over 350 farms, markets, agricultural infrastructure, um, and only 2.8% of Yemen's land was already arable. Um, fishermen have been targeted. More than 250 fishing boats were destroyed. And remember that th- and no one talks about this, Robbie. This is probably one of the most horrifying things that ever happened. And it was just a freaking blip when Saudi Arabia, the coalition, bombed that refugee boat. Do you remember
0: that? Oh yeah, of course, yeah. And, and they like had their like thir- UN paperwork dude, like, soaked it was in like blood. A, it was really, really extreme. It was like really a extreme. bloodbath. Yeah.
1: Oh, God, i just like these poor like refugees on this boat that Saudi Arabia just completely obliterated. And there's just a pool of blood with these UN documents. Oh, God, it's so horrifying. No one talks about that.
0: No one talks about it. And just to just to go back to the Democrats and how bad they are, like we were talking about in our last episode. Um, I just saw this tweet pop up from Representative Joe Kennedy. Someone asked. Why on earth did Representative Joe Kennedy vote with Republicans to give Donald Trump the more usable nuclear weapons that he's disturbingly craving? That is not how progressive champions should be voting. He responded with, you're right. Meant to vote yes. It was an honest mistake on my part. There is no need for these weapons. Keep up your advocacy.
1: It's like, what?
0: Wait, what? So you literally, you're, you're not even admitting that you voted for it. You're just saying you meant to vote Yes. Like, it's just such a bizarre, like, that's, I mean, like, I don't even know if, I mean, if, if he's actually being honest, that's such a strange thing to admit that you accidentally voted the opposite of what you meant <laughs> as a, as a representative, like what the fuck? And on an issue of war too, it's like, no wonder yeah, there's job, no Democrats dude. like r- heavily talking to, you know, speaking out about against the bombing of Yemen. No wonder.
1: Oh yeah. It just kills me. This hypocrisy. I mean, and I hate to do the what I'm like, what about Yemen? But it's just so, it's the most glaringly obvious thing in the world. Yemen is a, is a country of starving people, literally starving. Three quarters of the entire population is going to be at risk of starving to death because mm-hmm. of what the U.S. and Saudi Arabia are doing to this country. And people just really don't care. And where's the I, I outrage
0: towards Trump about it?
1: <laughs> right. If, if
0: Obama were doing this, all these anti-imperialists would have been outraged at Obama. And it just—it's just interesting to me how there's still this weird softness against Trump. It's like everyone's hitting, you know, rightfully railing against Saudi Arabia, but it's like, where's the heat on Trump
1: for enabling because this? Because they and don't being totally care about Yemenis, it? Robbie. It's they really don't strange. care about them because they, they just feign like they care about humanitarianism. It was just—it was just a way for them to couch their "quote unquote" resistance. They don't—they don't care about Yemenis. They didn't care about the brown people that Obama was bombing and killing and assassinating. They don't care about that. If they did, they would have a moral compass that supersedes politics.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I guess I was talking even more about just like the actual anti-imperialist left. Even the people who are talking about Yemen, I feel like they don't put, put the blame on Trump's doorstep very much either. And I'm just, it surprises me. Because I feel like some of those same people would have been putting the blame at Obama, the people who do care about brown people getting killed. Right. I just, I just, I, and I don't understand it, but like, again, like, I just am endlessly frustrated. It's like Trump yeah. manages to have, you know, he he seems to have this goodwill sort of extended to him where I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I mean,
1: maybe it's just, it's just coming at you from all sides. So it's hard to, yeah, I would love if like a couple anti imperial journalists were just like, Hammering all day, every day on Yemen. Yeah, like we're saying, Trump is
0: enabling an ongoing genocide right now. Trump needs to be stopped. Saudi Arabia needs to be stopped. It's just like only about Saudi Arabia.
1: Yeah, and I wish that people were able to get into Yemen. Unfortunately, it's so closed off even for journalists that it's like virtually just impossible to even report what's going on. My God. Um, I read a really interesting article before we get into... The rest of this stuff uh, of the the collateral murder video that everyone obviously remembers, it it was horrific um, where uh, people in Apache helicopters that were the occupying force in Iraq, U.S. soldiers uh, just callously murdered 12 people, 12 people, including two Reuters journalists, um, Namir and Saeed, a 22 year old and a 40 year old Reuters journalists were, were gunned down. Of course, the U.S. government lied and said that they thought that they had RPGs. Um, The point of this article was the guy, the Reuters chief, the bureau chief um, in Iraq for Reuters. He's this white guy named Dean Yates. He basically has been like tormented for the last 10 years because he didn't like do anything about it. That the military sat him down after they assassinated two journalists in cold blood on video and showed him like a three minute clip with someone else from Reuters and was just like, this is what happened. There was like there was gunfire in the area. We thought they had RPGs. And like there was no push for, for accountability um, for an investigation. This guy didn't put his job on the line to say, my journalists were slaughtered by you guys, and I'm not going to stand for this. Do you know no. what his name is? Dean Yates.
0: Oh, Dean Yates. So this is Reuters bureau chief. Is this the same guy who released or was part of releasing that original statement in response to the collateral murder yes. video? Yes. Yes, it was. Okay. And he, and he just, said that
1: the people he said that he's been like, all he does now is like, try to just go around to all, you know, the Iraqis, they were like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, seriously, what is wrong with you? This well, is what I you. Mean, this is what I you don't do blame the them because I remember killed? when I first read that letter,
0: I was fucking pissed at Reuters. I remember being very, very upset at the milk toast, not spineless response that they gave to the point where I was like, they're fully compromised. Like someone got to them. And you know this is this is actually way before I realized that they were the ones who were responsible for putting out the dancing in the streets, Palestinian celebrating 9-11 footage and stuff.
1: Yeah, it's like, are we supposed to feel bad for you, Dean? That ten yeah. years later, you son- suddenly have a moral conscience about how you let the U.S. government murder two of your journalists yeah. and claim it's too that they late, were a ho- they had hostile intent. That's what they told him. They were like, sorry, we had to kill these people. They had yeah. a hostile intent. We thought they had RPGs. Sorry, I would
0: have enormous respect for him now this much later if he was like i literally was suffering from what could be accurately described as stockholm syndrome the military intimidated me into like literally warping my reality into believing a false reality like i was ex- no. extraordinarily stupid and no cowardly. unfortunately
1: he blames it on how the military gave him a, an edited clip and he didn't wow see the full what a clip.
0: stupid fucking idiot yep, if the military Dean gave Yates. me an edited clip i'm like okay who edited this Where's the where's the raw footage? Great, this is an
1: edited clip. Let me see the full clip. Yeah, now. and he claims he claims he was asshole. like Reuters he was like Reuters immediately applied for a FOIA, and he was like, we never got the clip. It's like, well then don't then don't make a statement until you get the clip, dude.
0: God, what a until piece you see the full shit. video
1: of your journalist getting executed, maybe don't make a statement about it.
0: I mean, the sad thing is, clearly he is suffering from like Stockholm syndrome on some level, but he just doesn't even realize it. It's like no one would do that unless. Unless you're like suffering from some kind of like totalitarian bred m- mental illness, there's no reason why. I mean, like, yeah, your your employees were just literally murdered on video, and that's how hard you fought. That is insanely pathetic. That just really says it says it all about an organization like Reuters. Oh God, it's really then- awful.
1: And then going back to Saudi Arabia, wow, Cambridge Analytica. The last time we talked about Cambridge Analytica, we talked about how they were heavily involved in the Kenyan election, how they ghosted in and out of these areas. They were heavily involved in obviously Trump um, and God knows what else. Well, now we kind of know the extent of the operations. There was just a report talking about how they've done extensive work in Saudi Arabia. This whole reform um, campaign is all the work of the SCL. It's an umbrella, and it basically was hired to reshape the kingdom. Um, the company obviously is you know, mired in scandals. We know about the Facebook user data scandal, but it also provided a psychological roadmap of the kingdom's citizenry and its sentiment toward the royal family. And, and it basically tests all these things and sees how the public's going to react and also the international stage. And one of them was the driving, the uplifting the driving ban. Isn't that fascinating?
0: I mean it's it's fascinating because it's like it's kind of what we've thought all along this is some kind right. of PR stunt. Yeah. So like to find out that it actually literally is a bought and paid for PR campaign by Cambridge Analytica <laughs> is like wow that's cartoonish as fuck.
1: And it also um it also provided psychological analysis of citizenry in places like Libya after the fall of Muammar Gaddafi um huh. and it also It also, uh, this is Nigel Oakes. I'm reading this from the New York Times article. Nigel Oakes, the company's longtime chief executive, has described its overall strategy as, quote, group communication that aims to shift the views of the large swaths of the population. He says, quote, we use the same techniques as Aristotle and Hitler. We appeal to people on an emotional level to get them to agree on a functional level. And then you look at internal documents, Max Blumenthal actually just exposed this in Grey Zone, where he talks about how um, Cambridge Analytica was also, SCL, was working in Yemen. They, they do psychological profiling, strategic communications campaigns, and infiltrating of foreign operatives into indigenous communities through unwitting local partners who they were instructed to deceive, and they they have a cover story. So it's like relying heavily on deception to gain access to local populations under a cover story. It's kind of like USAID creating the fake Twitter, the fake HIV program, um, infiltrating the, the hip hop community in Cuba. Yeah. Um. Except this is even more insidious because at least that was under the cover of like USAID. This is like just a private company working with these AstroTurf groups to pretend like they're like, like indigenous. I mean, I don't even know what, what they mask themselves as on the ground in Yemen.
0: Well, it is interesting to ponder the idea of like a bureaucracy of like the government trying to launch these kind of operations versus like a totally private contractor. Right. Because there's obviously like less barriers for a private contractor to get away with and to like launch some of these kind of operations maybe not so much their funding but like they're you know they're like they don't have rules necessarily like the government right. there's no constitution
1: has like, there's no morality yeah even there's though no democracy
0: that, it's not to say that we don't violate our constitution and do like yeah. completely credibly legal shit 24 7 but it's a weird world we're living in now where like a private company can nakedly just be like doing political operations like on behalf of clients, like in these foreign countries and like war zones and stuff. It's a very strange thing.
1: And there's just no accountability because they're operating as a government, but they aren't. So corporations, we already know that they have more power. Like, you know, they act as governments anyway, but the, but my point about the constitution is there's no apparatus to even hold them accountable unless it's like other governments somehow acting.
0: Yeah. They're breaking the laws of like other countries.
1: It's so insane. I mean, how far does this go? I guess we can assume that Cambridge Analytica is in every hotspot in every country doing stuff like this.
0: Yeah, and, and then just like the repair job that Facebook is doing on their service is just so laughably propagandistic and like such a ruse. Like clearly on some level, this whole like fake news thing was like by design meant to like lock down the internet. Like I still wholeheartedly believe that. So it's just really funny when uh, Facebook has now announced that they're working with the Atlantic Council to help them, like, just dis- like you know, sift through fake news. Oh, and, and news. who's the
1: Atlantic Council funded by Qatar and Saudi Arabia?
0: Yeah, and, and defense contractors. I mean, they, yeah, it's it's so shocking. Um, I'm
1: so happy that Qatar and Saudi Arabia will be now filtering what news is real and fake on my Facebook feed. Thank you.
0: Yeah, and just another example of just how wacky Facebook and the social media age is getting. When I first saw this story, I thought it was some kind of, like, Christian conservative, like, hype fake story. But it's actually totally true, is that Facebook actually announced to people that if you send us your nudes, your porn, we'll make sure that nobody else on Facebook can, like, post it as revenge porn. So please send us your nudes. pictures. Pardon me? Yeah. It's an actual campaign, outreach campaign they did to their users. Um... This is a very I, odd era we're living in. I, I mean there's really no other way to like understand. characterize that. Pretty pretty <laughs> wow, wild, why?
1: right? I'm really speechless here. Yeah.
0: I mean in, I mean the idea Jesus. of revenge porn is is serious and devastating and awful and I'm glad that that guy, I think his name was It's Kevin's like it's son- like one
1: step away from being like send us child pornography so we can make sure it doesn't get online.
0: You know like it's a very interesting uh, it well, presents a, sli- a very interesting dilemma. I it's mean, I just won- totally went off a tangent about no, Facebook. No, I mean, it, but- it
1: reminds me of the Matt Hart thing, and I don't want to go too much into yeah, yeah, this, yeah. but it's so easy to trap people. And, and, and once you get that, that charge of child porn or you know, and, and who even knows what the hell happened there, I don't believe it. Um, and that's it. That's all you need. And if yeah. you click a link, and, and it's so easy to plant. I remember some guy gave me um, a disk drive, and I think I talked about this before. He gave me a disk drive at an event, and I was just like, how amazing that this could contain anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I just put it in my computer, what what's on this? You know, it's like, it's just, just even so... you possessing
0: it. Like if you right, went through exactly, customs and exactly. they were like, what's on here? And say it had a picture of child porn right, or I right. think you were said you were specifically in Germany. And, you know, what if like it was filled with like Holocaust denial information? That's technically legal in Germany. Right. So. Right. It's very interesting the way how easily someone could be entrapped into possessing illegal materials, and for for Facebook to to be offering that, I don't I don't even it it's impossible to wrap we my head around. We might just have to
1: get totally off Facebook soon. I mean, the only reason I'm even on it is just to spread data, but it's like how. Um, data. Yeah. The only reason I'm on it is to data mine myself. Um, no, I mean just to spread links and stuff, but it's like, even that is just almost worthless because of how suppressed the information is.
0: I mean, they've, they've shadow banned controversial political stuff. They've shadow banned people who don't pay for advertising, who promote their material. That was one of the first things they did is they knew that people were using Facebook to get people to check out their YouTube channels or their podcasts or whatever. And they clamped down on just the ability to do that because they want you to pay to promote stuff. So they like can tell when you're trying to get reach for things like that and they purposely suppress it. Yeah. And then show um, you an example saying, this is what your post would look like if you paid to promote it. Do you want to pay to promote it now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the only way it's that a you total can get trap. seen is if you sell it. Or if you pay for it. Facebook um, used
0: to be really valuable when it first started. Right. It's like for like underground live shows and events, there was really nothing better than it.
1: Well, it's total trash now. And I don't know where they can possibly go from here. They need to really seriously think about how they're going to rebrand or grow because it's just getting so toxic and worthless. Yeah. Um, but let's wrap it up. Let's wrap up this segment by talking just about the updates with Palestine. Yeah. Yeah. Um lots happened. Israeli soldiers invaded Nabi Saleh, which is where Ahed Tamimi's family is based, the girl who slapped the Israeli soldier. Um and they killed her cousin, I think uh, at least someone with the last the same last name. So I haven't verified that it is her cousin, but it's a man named Azadin Tamimi from the same village. So I'm assuming it is her cousin. This wouldn't be the first family member that's been executed. This is actually multiple people now in her family specifically that have been killed. So they, they invaded the village like they do every day with intent to arrest him over a previous stone throwing incident. We know that, you know, youth, all they really have are rocks against tanks and you can go to jail for 20 years with intent to harm. What does that even mean? That's obviously arbitrary uh, according to whatever soldier wants to say that he was intent to harm. So they were going to arrest him over this. Then they claimed he threw a rock when they were there. So of course they had to shoot him repeatedly. Not only that, they let him bleed out. Um, They refused the ambulances to come. They refused medics on this scene. And all the village had to watch their friend die in front of them. This is a very normal occurrence. This happens on a daily basis. Um, And so if anyone's still confused about why Ahad Tamimi slapped the soldier, well, this is the reality in the West Bank on a daily basis. So you can see the photos, it's her- horrifying, the pool of blood, and another Palestinian kid dead. So that's in the West Bank. In Gaza, uh, 500 Palestinians were shot in the head. 500 Palestinians were shot in the head.
0: Holy shit.
1: That was what the, the tally um, of the Great March of Return. The fact that not all of them died is incredible. That's how many people they wanted to kill. That's how many headshots there were. It, it's like, I have like goosebumps all over. Cause it's so, oh God, it's just so like horrifying. Um, so 500 people were shot in the head. Um, you know, all the paramedics shot, I talked about in the last podcast, 19 in one day, two killed.
0: It's really, really <sighs> awful, Abby. I mean, it's, it's so heart wrenching and it just feels so, It's like you just feel so isolated, like caring so much about this because it just seems like everyone's turning a blind eye to it still. And it's that's the part that makes me the most sad, I think, is just it's one thing to have all these people being senselessly killed for standing up for what they believe in and then to have like all these people in the United States who are funding this with their tax dollars just not saying a goddamn thing about it. It's incredibly sad and depressing.
1: Razan Al Najjar, 21 year old medic, running with her hands up in a white medical uniform who was shot in the back. Um, there's an incredible interview with her that if you want to cry, watch it because it's you will. <laughs> she's talking about how she's a feminist. She's like, women can do anything man, men can. She's like, we're out here without weapons. She's like, we can do anything. We can do anything without weapons.
0: What was even more disturbing after her senseless killing in cold blood by IDF forces is they first said, oh, we conducted an investigation and it was actually an accident. We shot her. Right. We didn't mean to shoot her. But then they couldn't just leave it at that. Then they started posting videos from the official IDF account claiming that she was a human shield.
1: Right. Right. Right,
0: Because that's how fucking psychotic these IDF pieces of shit are. I mean, they just go to their old classic talking point, they dust it off, you know, 30, 40-year-old talking point, just dust it off and then act like it's their biggest trump card. And all these idiots out there lap it up. And in the video that they posted said she's throwing a grenade, therefore she's not an innocent medic.
1: She's teaching people how to throw a tear gas canister away from them.
0: I, yeah, I watched the video, you IDF psychopath fucks, and that's what people do when they're getting tear gas canisters thrown at them, you stupid motherfucking liars. They pick them up and throw them in the other direction because tear gas hurts. It hurts you. It's painful. Anybody in their right mind, if they were near a tear gas canister and didn't have anywhere to run or, you know, or, or if they could get in there in time, would try to throw it in the other direction. People do that at Occupy every day. So to say that that's a human shield, that she's throwing a grenade, it's a tear gas canister, you lying, psychopathic, murdering motherfuckers.
1: Yeah. And then her cousin, Ramzi Najjar, he went to the fence because he was like, my cousin was gunned down in cold blood. She was a medic. He goes to the fence with wire cutters. And he just goes there and he's like, this is for my cousin. And of course, he was immediately executed. And so his death brought the number to to now 126 because three more people were killed today. Yeah. Um, and the IDF said that they're just going to start killing people who burn the kites, burning kites. And then there was a footage that came out of actually Israeli settlers burning kites. And uh, whoops, you didn't want that one to come out, did you? Burning their own land.
0: One of, the, one of those videos of the Israeli settlers trying to do the, the, the terror, terror kites, as they call them. Um, he accidentally ended up burning his own farm. I thought that was pretty <laughs> funny. The, the kite went back down and set something in his own farm on fire.
1: Now, Razan's mother is wearing her bloody vest, her medic uniform, and she's out there today. She's, she's going in Razan's spirit to continue to protest. Um, There was also the first reported act of self-immolation in Gaza. Fathi Harb, a 21-year-old man who had a baby on the way, he set himself on fire.
0: Oh, man. Um, The only thing we can do is just to keep talking about it and bringing attention to it.
1: I want to just say one more thing about, and I'm going to try to not completely sob, um, <laughs> but I did a press conference with, with the Council on International Relations in Gaza. There's a group of journalists there who wanted me to, to Skype in and mm-hmm. do a press conference with them because they wanted to see how the public was perceiving the Great March of Return and how the media was perceiving it. Because think about it, they get maybe two to three hours of electricity a day. Their Wi-Fi is very poor. They don't see what we see. They see Arab media. They asked me, did people care? When we died, what did people say? And, and um, I, I mean, what do you say to that? <laughs> what do you say to that? And then at the end, I just said, what can I say to relay a message from you guys to, to my colleagues and, and Americans here? And they said, please tell them that we don't want to die. We love life. We love life and we want to live.
0: So, so it's fucking sad, Abby. It's just, it's just such a disgusting way to look at human beings to think that they all want to die, they're just all part of some kind of death cult. I mean, that's why I can't stand people like Sam Harris, you know, And, and I, I point to people like Sam Harris and Jake Tapper as more damaging than even someone like, you know, like a, like a terrible Zionist neocon, because right? They're convincing all these liberal people out there that it's okay to dehumanize Palestinians. And, and when they die, it's not a big deal because they meant to die. They're a human shield. They try, you know, they, they, that was their, they're martyrs. Like they, that's what they do. It's just so weird that that's what we've warped ourselves into thinking out here. I mean, it's such denial. And of course they love life. Like everybody human being loves life. Like, I mean, I don't even, that's, it's, it's very, very sad.
1: And then you have Nikki Haley, the complete psychopath. I've never seen anything more insane than her running around the UN Security Council, literally begging leaders to vote for her insane resolution to blame Hamas, to blame Palestinians for their own misery, death and destruction and massacre. So Kuwait proposed... Uh, you know a a resolution to condemn israel which 10 countries voted for unfortunately a lot abstained because they're fucking pussies and um then nikki haley you know raises her arm up to object and doesn't just do that she creates her own bullshit resolution to blame hamas and goes around begging everyone to vote for it and not one person did not one country voted for this resolution and so if, I guess if there's some sort of hope or glimmer of hope or silver lining, it's the fact that the U.S. has isolated itself to such extreme, extreme lanes that it, it looks so indefensible what's going on right now. And the fact that the U.S. and Israel are just so tightly aligned and that there is literally no line that either of these countries can, can't cross, that reflects very poorly on the rest of the world. And I think that people are not, like, how much longer is the rest of the world going to accept this? I don't know. I don't know either. But, um, yeah. But, yeah the
0: Nikki Haley thing was, uh, you saw was, that, right? Oh, it was, it was cartoonish. I mean, she was, yeah. when you say begging, I mean, that's not an exaggeration. She's actually on the ground, leaning on the desk of like all these different, you know, UN people. Like, and you could see her saying, please. Can see her mouthing the word please over and over again. What a pathetic display, man. You have to have zero humanity to be that much of a piece of shit like she is. To just have not basic like humanity in your soul where you would denounce all of that as being like Hamas violence. I mean, what a psychotic woman. Mm-hmm. She's just a vessel though for like terrible you know, neocon propaganda and defense contractor propaganda. It's almost like she is the vessel for like all the worst policies of like the neoliberal resistance and Trump's terrible foreign policy like rolled into one.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, she embodies it all. She's the worst. I mean, she's Just so funny. All these people were like terrified of Victoria Newland, like consortium news and stuff. And rightfully so. Um, and yet Nikki Haley is just like, gets this pass that once again, it's this softness. It's like, why aren't you scared of Nikki Haley, man?
1: Yeah. She's, she's like a terrifying yeah. person.
0: You need, you. a lot of people lost their footing and are just being soft on Trump's people. And, and I, when I say that, I don't mean neoliberals and I don't mean people on the right. Yeah. Obviously those people are, I mean, p- leftist anti-imperialists are really dropping the ball in this. I really think they are. And I don't understand why I don't get it. Um, And I really would like to see more pushback against it. But I do think that,
1: I mean, I, like I said about the marijuana prohibition, there's something about the Palestine thing that seemed so far out of reach just a year ago when I was there to today. After this massacre though, and this is what I was telling them in Gaza, I was like, you guys, you look totally insane defending this here. Like really a line has been drawn in the sand that if you are out there defending this, you look like a maniac yeah and, and and that really is true that is not mm-hmm. an exaggeration like there definitely has been a shift and even though the media is not covering that shift it is it is there and, absolutely and young is. jewish americans are waking up they're risking arrest um you know average americans who have a shred of dignity and humanity in their soul once you see the facts you can't unsee them once you learn you can't unlearn And you just, it just takes just a glimpse of the suffering and pain because of our subs, like our subsidization of, of Israel. Mm -hmm. So that, that's, I think that there is, it's seriously within reach. And I really am not saying that lightly. I think that we, we might see the apartheid state fall very soon. Um, I really do think in the next decade, very drastic things are going to happen because Israel can't help itself. And it's inevitably going to get even more genocidal and crazy.
0: Well, that's the, that's the worrisome part is as it fall, because it's going to be a slow motion thing as it gets more, you know, international community people looking down on it for its apartheid practices and and genocidal practices it's going to become even more desperate and will try to kill even more Palestinians at a more rapid pace, and that's the thing the thing that we have to be most concerned about. I, there, it's yeah. going to be like a rat trapped in a corner, you know kind of scenario where better watch out once the world really turns against Israel. That's when we really, this, we have to remember, this is a country with nukes, man.
1: And they're going to, and they want bloodletting and they're not the, going to go up easily, just like yeah. the US empire is going to go down easily. This is the first empire we've seen that's global and that has 900 military bases and military personnel in every fucking country. So what's going to happen when the US empire falls? A lot of people are going to die because we're not going to go down without a fight. And that's yeah. going to be really really scary because we have not seen that before and someone just told me this the other day and I'm going to leave you guys with this because it really stuck with me. Yes, history repeats itself but the stakes get higher every time and that's where we're at today where history is instructive but the stakes have never been higher. Environmentally, you know, everything that we're saying militarily, um, the refugee crisis that's coming up with the climate change, I mean it, the stakes are very high. So, yeah, it's, but again, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use the Rahm Emanuel with great,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: with crisis comes opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> that um, we do, there's a shift and there's an opening, and it's happening with Israel it's It's happening you know with marijuana. hopefully we'll see psychedelics maybe come next. I mean, there's definitely things that we can look forward to that are positive, but hopefully it goes along with a mass awakening and consciousness shift, otherwise, I mean, the world can't go on like this, so
0: you know, and everybody out there to keep fighting the good fight and um yeah, it's easy to get disillusioned and to unplug or even to like hero worship people you know and and you know, in times of crisis and, and confusion. Um, but keep a clear head and just stick to what you know is right and true. And, um, and that, that'll guide you. I mean, it's it just, yeah, you just can't get up in the, get caught up in these petty squabbles. And I know I do, I tend to do that too. Um, and, um, I'm trying to stop myself and just focus on what's really true and important. And, um, and yeah, I hope, um, hope that leaves us with something positive. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, absolutely. You guys, there is like apartheid's going to fall and that's an amazing thing. And so just keep fighting because it actually is working. Like I'm not joking. I really do think that something really amazing is going to happen. But again, at what cost, whatever cost it will take is going to be worth the freedom and liberation of Palestinians at the end. And it's going to be worth crushing, um, that criminal apartheid state and, and hopefully by proxy, the U S empire, because we know that that's the source. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if the rest of the world stands up, it's still going to come from the U S empire propping this up. So you guys just, just center your focus, just keep fighting. Um, there's so many of us out there. Thank you so much for listening to this. I'm sorry that it was a little bit more difficult, but I had to tell you that experience. Um, really appreciate all your, all your guys' support.
0: Yeah, we really appreciate the support and um, we could still use your support if you go to, if you want to donate to us and support us in that way, um, you can go to patreon.com slash media roots radio and we have it set up so that you um, can donate per episode um, and in maximum we're only going to charge you for four episodes per month. Um, if we end up putting out an extra one, you won't get, you won't have to donate for that one. It'll be like a bonus episode. Um, so, thank you for all your support, everybody. And um, yeah, let us know if you have any feedback or um, comments or anything.
1: Output transcript Out the gold air, the gold air, the